Our teaching text today comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. This is what we read. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. So to start, uh, a little trek down memory lane. Now this isn't my memory lane, this is your memory lane. Uh, Bring to mind uh, the last time you went on a trip. Maybe you came on a trip today. Maybe uh, you're in the midst of a trip or it was a time that you went abroad. Uh, Perhaps it was a spiritual retreat or an extended vacation with family. Do Do you have that trip in mind? I'm seeing some nods of affirmation, so I'm gonna assume yes. Okay, now what did it take for you to get there? That is, like to move towards your destination, what was required of you? Did you have to take PTO? Did you make travel arrangements? Did you have to pack food or pack up a car? Like what, what was required of you? Gas. Gas, there we go. See, even if you think of yourself as spontaneous, maybe a high P on the Myers-Briggs or a seven on the Enneagram, it doesn't matter, because I often think that schedules are irrelevant, um, but, but they're not, because you have responsibilities to people, and even those you have to attend to uh, out of you know, love for your neighbor. There, in other words, there's something required of you prior to your departure, and hopefully the destination is something you actually desire. Most of the time it is. And, and when it happens to be, the destination makes the work worth it. You, you, you go through the flight delays and the uh, small humans around you um, or your in-laws. You go through all of that because on the other side of that, tucked within that destination is the hope, a sort of promise, whether it's relaxation or leisure or extended time with family. Like there is some sort of promise that that destination holds out for you. And, and what's curious to me is, you know, there's more Americans taking vacations today than over the past few years. And a lot of this is on account of people had all these uh, backlogged days from the COVID and they've decided to take them. But what's even more interesting, at least t- to me, is that there is this 20% increase in vacations being taken. But most people are staying plugged in while away there's this, here's a little bit of data for you for those who like numbers. Uh, in a recent survey cited in the Wall Street Journal, this executive search firm indicated that 60%, 6-0, of their respondents would stay connected to their work on vacation today as compared to 19% in 2021. That's a, that's a pretty stark rise. And 15 of that 60%, those who would work while away, they felt compelled to work out of fear of losing their job. See, my guess is that none of this, that is like none of the incessant insecurity, the desire to cultivate comfort in our lives, or even uh, that kind of frenzied pace, none of this surprises you because it like is your own story. It's our story. And there's, I'm not saying this to, to shame or to condescend like we have everything together by no means. Like we all live in this strain. And I would imagine that you and I, that we want, all of us, to believe that our time would hold space for us to, like a time, a destination away, would hold space for us to rest and reset and maybe even be refreshed. 
But what I, what I often find, and this is um, some anic data now, this is just from my own experience, is that when I, when I get away, what I feel is this persistent call back to an inbox. And so though I am away, I'm also, my mind is still on like, oh, I didn't, did I set up a work away? No, I probably didn't set up an away email. Oh, I might as well just respond to that thing. And so what happens is that I feel some relief that my inbox is cleared, but then it's really just more of a relief that I'm going to be able to get back to where we had gone from. And there's little glimmers of hope. I'm not like, this is not all like dark and even though it's like hot and oppressive in here, that's hopefully not what the teaching leads us to. Um, there, is, there is hope in this. And my point is really this, there is this dynamic interplay between effort and rest. Just think about our teaching text. Just for a little context, the author of Hebrews hopes that you know that they're talking about Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is riffing on the wilderness generation who they would not enter God's rest in the promised land. Instead of uh, receiving God's directions in ways of love, they rebelled against that. And so they were for 40 years out. The author of Hebrews is riffing on this wilderness generation and, and says this in verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work just as God does from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Isn't that an interesting paradox? We make every effort to enter that rest. There's the interplay effort and rest. And rest without effort, it goes by another name. It's entertainment. This is not the focal point of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is not commending a marginalized religious community to take up entertainment where all that's required of you is your attention. No, instead, they say, make every effort. Do whatever you have to do to get into that place. Make every effort to enter that rest. And there's certainly a lot to be said about rest. I've tried to say a little over the past few weeks, um, and it pains me not to be able to like, go back and do a really thorough review of everything from a, a cultural exegesis and a biblical account of, of Sabbath. Um, so I'm just gonna commend you to the podcast if that's your thing, you can go back. There's better resources than the podcast, by the way. Like there's, there's people wiser in, yes, but if you just want a starting place, the podcast will kind of catch you up on the Sabbath. But for the sake of time, I want you to notice two things about what the author of Hebrews is saying here. First, rest is available. It's actually available. And you might find that hard to believe, but genuine, soul-satisfying, like better than the best night's sleep you've ever had rest is available. And over the past couple weeks, I, I've labored to make a cultural and biblical case for the wisdom of Sabbath-keeping in our modern era as a pathway to rest. That Sabbath is a literal, and here's a definition for you note takers, Sabbath is a literal 24 hour period in time where we cease all worry, work, and want so that we might enter into rest with feasting and delight. If this is the first time that you're hearing about Sabbath in a, a church context, or perhaps you're thinking of like the Lord's Day and a Sunday, um, again, I point you to the podcast for some more details, but suffice it to say, whether or not you think the Sabbath is a binding command, like something that Jesus is inviting you into or the Bible's commanding you to, regardless of what you think about that, Jesus has this offer. This is what we started our series in. This is in Matthew 11. Like Jesus says there is a new way to live, a way that Jesus will call his yoke. It's the, the, the composite sketch of his teachings. And in this new way of life, 
Jesus says you will encounter something weighty enough to plunge the depths of your soul and purge all the refuse, and that thing is rest. You will find rest for your souls with Jesus' yoke upon you. See, I am of the mind that the gap between the rest that we desire and the lives that we live, that it can actually be bridged, and it can be bridged by a willingness to cease. If you could tell in that little definition of the Sabbath, there are four components. It's ceasing, resting, feasting, and delight. Today, we're just gonna dip our toes into ceasing, and you're like, praise be to God, because it is hot in here. See, we, rest is available, but, but I want you to notice the second thing that the author of Hebrews is drawing us to. Rest takes effort. You're like, no, none of us are learning anything new right now. Uh, see, make every effort to enter the rest. Why? Because rest takes effort. So then how do you do it? Well, there's actually evidence in the word itself. If you think about the word Shabbat, just go ahead and say this with me, Shabbat. Shabbat. Well done, Hebrew scholars you are. Uh, see, Shabbat is where we get our English word Sabbath, and Sabbath literally translated is to cease or to stop. But we gave the illustration of when you would punch out of your job, you'd go and you'd take your time card and you would literally hit that thing. At that point, you stopped working. You were no longer there. Your work had ceased. See this, the ceasing, this Sabbath rest, it requires preparation. It invites repentance and it releases anxiety. And ultimately it opens the door to rest. And so I just wanna take the remainder of our time, we're just 10 minutes in, uh, to, to go through the kind of contours at 30,000 feet of what ceasing would look like. Over the next number of weeks, we're going to like build out a Sabbath practice together that you can pick up if you want. We're going to offer you tools and resources, and it's all invitation. Today, we turn to ceasing of what it looks like to do that, to actually stop. And so I want to get as practical as possible without being overly prescriptive, uh, lest you come away thinking that this is some, like, religiosity. It is not. It's all invitation. And so I'm just going to offer a, a brief word on each of those elements. Because remember, if, if Sabbath is a literal 24-hour period in time where we cease all worry, work, and want, we need somewhat of a blueprint of how to move through that. By the way, this feels entirely counterintuitive. When, when you want to talk about abstract ideas, I'm your guy. So a lot of this wisdom comes from my wife, Jessica. So um, thank you, Jess. Uh, so here we go. Brief word on each of these things. Um, Preparation, repentance, anxiety, and rest. Sabbath ceasing, if you're taking notes, Sabbath ceasing requires preparation. Uh, a couple weeks back, uh, Jess, myself, and the boys were making a little pit stop at the Gateway Market to pick up some of their tasty treats. And as I went in and Jess and the boys stayed in the van, uh, there was apparently some sort of crash uh, south of Woodland on MLK. And immediately I get in the car, Griffin is like, we have to go check this thing out. And so we go and do this. And what we see is that an Impala blasted the back of a Suburban. This is, I was hoping for an audible gasp at that moment, but um, I, don't, I don't really know how fast the Impala was going, but the front end was bunched up like an accordion. And then the Suburban just had like, the bumper was kissed and just a little low. I guess, um, you know, maybe the person in the Suburban, like they've had a, a previous accident, so they have a large SUV for that very purpose. But I, I share this because I think that this is what entering rest feels like for most of us. 
We are like this Impala that's going, going, going. It was a young guy. I'm imagining that he was on the TikToks or something like that. And then, boom, amid distraction, we rear end rest at full speed, and we, it's like we're crushed and bewildered on the side of the road calling for, I don't know, help. That's what it feels like, at least for me. And so what follows is really, you can think of it as us applying our brakes so that we do not crash into rest, but that we can arrive there and receive the rest that's available. So, so say this with me. Ceasing requires preparation. That's basically the sermon right there. But now we're going to unpack all of that. See, the rabbis of Jesus' day and later on, they would often talk about the Sabbath as Queen Sabbath. I found this really interesting. They would, prepare, they would have special garments. They would have songs and they would sing and dance these rituals and liturgies where they would receive the Queen Sabbath. It's this beautiful picture of a royal bride being welcomed into the heart and the home. And maybe that sounds a little odd and quirky, um, but just take a moment to behold this beauty. You see, when you go to a wedding, any of you been to a wedding as of late? Okay. So there's a moment when the bride will enter the room, and we still participate, like at least here in the West, we participate in this ritual of the mother of the bride will stand, and then everybody does what? They also stand. What are they doing? Well, they're honoring. They're like giving respect. It's as though something miraculous has just stepped into the room. The bride... See, when you go through, like you go into this places, there are codes and rituals. You wear fancy clothes. I think a collared shirt is oppressive. And yet when I go to a wedding, I will even wear a tie to the glory of God. And I'll be in, and it's like, there you are. There's the bride wears white. There are ornaments and laughter and toasts and celebration. But when the bride enters, everyone stands to receive. There's a biblical word for this. It's the word consecration. And I don't imagine you've tweeted anything out about consecration as of late, but it is a word that describes what that moment is. And we, we get a glimpse of this in Exodus 28. This is the start of the fourth command of the famous 10 commands or the 10 words. This is Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day, how? By keeping it holy. The, the mechanism by which we remember and therefore imitate God in Sabbath keeping is by keeping it holy. It, you may recall, but the first thing in all of creation that's called holy is the Sabbath. It's not the plants or the animals, the birds of the air. It's none of that. It's not even humanity. The first thing that's called holy is Sabbath time. You might expect God to make, I don't know, like a, a spring or a mountain be the first thing that's holy, and then that would be where God would reside. But instead, God says time is the place of holiness. It is the unique and set-apart reality in creation, and so too for us we get to remember that there is a day and that by keeping it holy, we're setting it apart for God. We are consecrating, we're participating with God by preparing that space for the bride. Ceasing or keeping the Sabbath, it requires preparation. And this, what follows is not gonna be exhaustive, but these are just some, some words and thoughts to kind of scaffold ceasing upon. And so I offer you three words, space, food and activity. By space, I mean the physical space, like, like just what you feel under your sit bones right now, this type of really physical, tactile space. You know, we're really interesting creatures, humans, because we make and then remake spaces. There'll be a perfectly functioning kitchen, but then what we'll do 
is we'll remodel it. I'm saying I would do the same thing. I'm just, it's, we're interesting. And, and what happens is we anchor memories in space. We express our interior life in space. We join in community like this in space. We celebrate and we grieve and do so much more in physical spaces. And I, as I was uh, kind of geeking out and reading about the psychology of design of spaces this past week, I came across this quote from Professor Dave Allen Kopik, and he's a specialist in design. He said this, he said, the human environment, relationship, it is symbiotic. That is, it works back and forth and together in a synergistic way. In that the environment influences our behavior and we in turn influence the environment. It's this back and forth. I, I get this and I think you do too, but here's a little anecdote from my life. See, I have these roommates and uh, most of my roommates, excepting one, they create an unruly environment. They throw food. They toss their clothes about in fits of joy. Apparently, when you're a small human, you can streak, and that's like naked and unashamed. That's the, that's the thing. Um, they leave trails of toys in their wake. And there is, there is a, a beautiful sound to all of this, for sure. However, it's difficult when like, everything's strewn about to like, yes, oh, let me receive the Lord's rest in this. Uh, see, our environment shapes us. And, and I, I find it difficult to rest in that type of space. Therefore, to keep the Sabbath holy, to cease, I have to go with Jess and the boys and prepare that space. Th that is, we have to make it ready to receive the Sabbath queen. And yes, this means, this is a sermon illustration about cleaning. And, and this may sound daunting. It may sound overwhelming. You're like, I, I can't do this. But take heart because there's hope. Early on, and when we were trying to practice the Sabbath, we would try and fit everything into a Friday. So we would, I, I can be a little idealistic if you know me, so I wanted to practice like the OG Sabbath, Friday at sundown till Saturday at sundown, and so we would get uh, Friday morning and afternoon, we would try and get everything done. This is all of the housework and outside work, and what would happen is we would inevitably leave things undone, and we would enter into Sabbath frustrated with one another and the boys, and it was just kind of a hot mess. And so Jess, being the wise woman she is, she, she simply said, okay, let's just spread it out. Well, rather than cramming it all in, let's just do a few things. So the, the, the message there is do what you can, not what you can't. If you have the margin in your budget to hire somebody to come and help clean something, like do what you can, not what you can't. If you can like just put things in a pile, do what you can, not what you can't, because the goal is to receive the Sabbath queen where you are, not where you're not. See, we, we actually have, we have this amazing capacity to put a barrier in front of us and think I can never do that thing, but that's a lie. If, if you want to get to a destination, if you've ever been in an airport trying to reroute your flight because it gets moved, you will do whatever it takes, well, within measure, to get to where you want to go. That's just space, which makes room for the really important thing, namely food. See, um, we're gonna touch on this when we get to feasting, but let me just say this, food like cleaning can feel daunting, especially if you work all week and you come home to small humans, it's like, Okay, I don't really know what to do with this. And, and this actually for us was uh, probably the, the place that tested our resolve. And so we need a discipline. And so here's, here's just a little nugget from our life is rather than binge watching another thing of Netflix, um, and if this sounds condescending, this is from my own life, I'm not projecting this on you. If, rather than watching another thing of, of Netflix, you could just make a meal plan. 
if you want, you could even go to this thing called Pinterest and you can find Jessica if you want like a bunch of, I don't know, vegetarian food. And we have like this week's menu. You can just eat what we eat. You go to the grocery store and it's, you go to Aldi, boom, you're done. Like you just take that time and you apply discipline to it because why you want to receive the Sabbath queen, that destination, you actually want to get there. And so the work, the requisite work is worth it. That's space and food and lastly, activities. What does it look like to prepare some activities? See, historically, there are 12 Sabbath activities that come to us by way of church history and even from, um, our Hebrew, from the Hebrew Bible. And these activities, they emerge as kind of time-tested containers for delight. And so you don't, these are not boxes to tick. If you're the type of person who's like, I'm gonna do it perfectly and therefore I'm gonna account for all these things, just take a breath and just try on one or three. So there can be uh, you, lighting of the candles. This is a ritual of welcome for the Sabbath. You, you, you pray a prayer, you sing a song. You can bless the children if they're there. If you're in community, you can bless each other. You eat a Sabbath meal, which can be really simple. It's you break some bread, you open up some wine if that's your thing, and you enjoy that time. You express gratitude, you sing, you worship with your church, you go on a walk, you take naps. Folks, let me just talk to you about the spirituality of naps. The spiritual discipline of naps. If, if you, a spiritual discipline is anything that you can see Jesus doing in the scriptures. Jesus often withdrew to the lonely place. Do you know when Jesus, when they're like out on the boat in a storm, what's Jesus doing? He's napping. It is, naps are holy. The Sabbath holds space for you. Making love to your spouse in 2023, we just have to say, to your spouse. Uh, reading, especially the scripture, spending time with God alone, spending time with family and friends, like these are beautiful things that help to cultivate joy and delight. So, see, Sabbath ceasing, it not only requires preparation, but it also invites repentance. And I imagine for many of us, this is like a weighty religious word, but in the biblical imagination, repentance is simply the idea of turning from your present course toward God. Just think of our teaching text once more. This is in verse 11. It says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. See, while conversations about like judgment and repentance, they can make us, I don't know, a little squirmy or our tummies uncomfortable, the biblical authors talk about repentance with startling clarity because they think about the human condition, I would say rightly. They, they name our inward turn as one away from God and invite us to turn toward God. See, we can both partner with God that is, we can make every effort to enter his rest, or we can live out of alignment with God. And my guess is our daily lives are a mix of both. Sabbath is a place and time that, that holds when we cease, we are then able to stop and then turn with intentionality toward God. See, Sabbath ceasing is that weekly invitation to relinquish the illusion of control and to commend ourselves into God's love. And I would just say that any time that you witness a, like, a person who's living with radical obedience, that repentance has been the thing that set the course. And so it, we can take heart with repentance. It doesn't have to be heavy-handed. It is the reorientation of the mind and the heart to God in Christ. And so hear this. When we stop, when we slow down long enough to keep God's pace, it makes space for us to see our lives clearly and then to thank God that he makes space for us in Christ to turn toward him. Repentance is a gift. It is not a heavy burden. And so Sabbath makes space for us to do that. 
See, the beauty of Sabbath ceasing is it invites you and me to turn to God. And this is how God describes God's self, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and kindness. This is the God who wants to receive us. And if you're hearing these words and you're like, I have no idea where to start. I've heard talk about repentance from when I was young to right now, but I don't even know what that looks like. Well, let me, this is a prayer that we start our Sabbath with. And so let me just offer the beginning part of this to you. This is a traditional Sabbath prayer. Do you wanna read it with me? Here we go. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You are the author of love and life. You have given us the opportunity to work this past week the privilege of serving you in your kingdom in visible and invisible ways. For the work of our hands and heart, we thank you. We thank you for the things we do out of duty and the things we did out of delight. For projects, demands, chores, sore muscles, and acts of kindness. For all that was planned and unplanned, Lord, receive it as our gift to you. For all that was left undone because of distraction or laziness, forgive us, Lord Jesus. For all that was left undone because we obeyed the Spirit's leading, we recognize your handiwork and give you thanks. It goes on to say, the Sabbath lies before us. We then go and light a candle. But this is the simplicity of repentance, to thank God that he meets us there and then to turn with him. It is that simple, and it is here that we turn to the loving embrace of the Father. And it's here that Sabbath ceasing also releases anxiety. I don't, I don't know if you feel it, but it's like in the air. There is, a, there is a concern about the future, and perhaps that anxiety regularly creeps itself into your life, into your gut. Maybe it collapses you inward. Sabbath is where you can cast yourself on the love of God. You don't, you don't, just allow these next words, this is the continuation of this prayer, just allow these words to kind of wash over your heart. Let me read them over you. Lord Jesus, you crafted and created this Sabbath day. You crown it with glory, you call it holy. Through it, you call us out of darkness and into your love and light. It is to be a day of refreshment and celebration. It is a day of devotion and delight set apart since the beginning of time. You alone, hear this church, you alone release us from the bondage of duty and demand. As your chosen people, we will embrace this day of Sabbath rest. In keeping it, we remember you as our creator, rescue, and redeemer. Now, I'm not, I'm not here saying, like, if you're on an SSRI or something like, like, if you're, if, you're, if you're on something that is helping you in your biology to, like, feel some sense of joy and lightness, like, with your doctor and in community and wisdom, like, receive that. And somehow, I, like, God in Christ creates space for us to cast our anxiety on him. The philosopher Dallas Willard has this epic line. He says, God has yet to bless anyone except for where they actually are. Sabbath allows us to arrive where we actually are and then receive God's blessing there, not where we ought to be. Sabbath allows us to like ugly cry. Sabbath allows us to like name the stuff that hurts. And that is why Sabbath lastly opens the door to rest. There is a distinction between ceasing and resting because like that Impala being squished into the suburban, like we can collide with rest and it hurts. Or as Wayne Mueller so beautifully says, he says this, Sabbath requires surrender. We can surrender to rest. If we only stop when we are finished with all our work, we will never stop 
because our work is never completely done. If we refuse rest until we are finished, we will never rest until we die. Welcome to church. Sabbath dissolves the artificial urgency of our days because it liberates us from the need to be finished. Come on, Wayne. That's that fire right there. See, Sabbath is the invitation to dip our hearts into the joy of Jesus. And if, you've, if, you've like, if you feel like you have a religious streak in you or you're like, I'm not going to do this, just try it. If it sucks, try it again. Like there is like a gift to be had here. And yes, let me say, um, it will require you to rearrange your life. It has felt odd as we've discussed like, oh, I, I think it's worth it. And let's just say this. Let's say Sabbath, like somebody comes and they're way smarter than me and theologically and biblically they say Sabbath is not a command you need to keep. It's not binding. I still think I would keep the Sabbath because there's something there where like I can, we just did a child dedication. Where else can you point your children to the delight of the Lord? As a family, you can sing songs and light candles and speak of God's goodness. Where can you enter like a cathedral in time, the rest of God? I would say it's the Sabbath. And perhaps for you in your season of life, this is where your Sabbath comes. You come to rejoice, to minister to the Lord, which might sound like odd language. But we come here not just to be filled up. There is a moment, like we're gonna take the bread and the cup here in a moment. We're going to literally consume the bread blood and body of Jesus is more than symbol into our life as spiritual nourishment. But we're also going to sing songs, not for the warm fuzzies, but as like when you go through the, the, the Hebrew Bible, you see they would offer sacrifices as fragrant offerings to God. We offer songs up as like a ministering to God. Did you know, here, just one second, if you just draw your attention here, that the king of the universe wants to hear you raise your voice to him, not because he's so desperate and that he needs it, but because he's so secure that he wants it. Like he wants to hear your voice and mine as strained and awkward as they might be. He wants to hear it because he, he actually has this love for you. He wants to refresh your soul. So may we, church, May we no longer wear busyness as a badge, but might we slowly, over the course of time here, begin to release ourselves into God's loving care? Would we be able to cease through preparation? Would we perhaps be able to release our anxiety? Would we might even be able to open those doors of rest through the Sabbath?